feels so great. Tonight we're in Isaiah chapter 14. We start what is, what happens often in the prophets. So when we look at the major and minor prophets, <coughs> all of them have something called the oracle to the nations. So we're going to be in the oracle of the nations all the way to about the middle of chapter 23. As in essence, what God is doing through his prophets is establishing the idea that finding our hope or security in some kind of union with someone else to get us by, to get us through. In other words, making a treaty with Egypt or Assyria or Philistia or Moab, that God's saying each one of those nations is going through the same thing you are. And the answer is not that they have security for you. Uh, the answer is the only place you can have security where you can find that security is with the Lord. So there's a concept in Scripture that says that God shakes everything that can be shaken so that we can recognize that the only place where there's stability is with Him. So all these other things won't help us. I had an interesting conversation, I don't know if you can call it that, on social media uh, this week with uh, with a guy who is um, an atheist. Uh, I often will look for those opportunities when I'm uh, cruising around. Usually they have jumped on somebody else, you know, so... <clears throat> I figure if, if you felt welcome to jump on somebody else, you're asking me to say something too. So, so uh, although I'm not a keyboard warrior, so what I do is I tell them, hey, we can get together. So you can look at my beady eyes when we talk. But one of the things that he talked about was this idea that, you know, all, the, all you religions do the same thing. You, you run to this ultimate, uh, well, he doesn't use this term, you, you run to the authority your authority, which is the Bible or God, and the, for, the, for the Muslim, it's the Quran or Allah, or for this group, it's that, or this group, it's that. And you run to that, but, but none of you are, are using any kind of reasoning. You know, you're not, you're not, being, you're not being intellectually honest. You're, you're, you point to this authority, and, and that's the end, and, instead of going to evidence. So, the question I always ask is, by what standard will you judge my evidence? In other words, I want to know what's your ultimate authority. And it's always the same. I am. <laughs> oh, you're the ultimate authority. Which then gives me an opportunity to ask the next question. Are you ever wrong? Yes, yeah. So if you can be wrong, how do you know that your reasoning is valid? This is an important question to ask. Because if your reasoning, if you can't guarantee that your reasoning is valid, then how can you judge the truth of what I'm saying? It's a self-defeating argument. And the reality is, Romans 1 says that it's not that you don't believe there's a God, it's that you love your sin and you don't like the God who is. So if we'll just be intellectually honest about that, that we can move forward, right? That you know God exists, you love your sin, and you don't want to leave. You don't want to leave it. There, I can work with that, right? Instead of the whole concept of you can't prove to me God exists when you have no 
ultimate standard. Everyone's ultimate standard, their authority in their life, gets circular at the ultimate authority. Do you guys know what I mean? The simplest way to explain it as a parent, right? At some point, a parent talking to their child, their three-year-old, will say, because I said so, right? What did that just become? That became circular, meaning they're the ultimate authority, right? Are you tracking with me so far? So my ultimate authority is the Word of God. So that's my standard of truth. And I am pointing to an authority outside of myself. Do you guys understand? If I point to an authority inside of myself, my, the authority is, is, in my opinion, that authority is invalid. Because if you can be wrong, then, then, then what, how, how is that an authority? It's, it's faulty. It's broken. So the test when we come to comprehend these, these arguments and these ideas is to acknowledge the reality that God is the ultimate authority. And that's the point of the oracle of the nations. The oracle of the nations is God saying, look, I'm the authority. How do you know good from evil? If you're the authority then you're going to say, I know that this is good or this is evil. And the next question is the same. Could you be wrong? And all of us have the same answer, don't we? The one who can't be wrong is God. If God says this was good, and you and I look at it and we go, I don't know how he gets that. Who knows more? This is my question. Who knows more? My knowledge is finite. His knowledge is infinite. Yes? So, I don't, I don't argue to God, I argue from Him. He's the only way I can know right or wrong. He's the only way I can understand morality. He's the only way that, that I can have any kind of explanation for uh, the laws of logic, the laws of mathematics, any kind of reasoning that anybody does today. It all has to posit God first. If it doesn't, all you have is random, purposeless, indifference, Stardust bumping into each other does not make logic. It does not create mathematics or language. So we, we start from that point. That's the concept that God is making through the prophets in the oracles of the nations. He's declaring, look, I'm the ultimate authority. And if you go somewhere else for those answers, you will... You will justify your ability to stay in your sin, but you'll never come to the place where you can be saved from your sin. You guys understand what I mean? There's no power in any of those other things. There's self-justification or self-righteousness, but there's no deliverance. So everything that can be shaken gets shaken. So that that which is not shaken, that's the only thing stable enough for us to put our faith in. Hopefully that makes sense. If it don't, feel free to hit me up. Because I can talk about that stuff ad infinitum. So the first oracle we're going to look at tonight is oracle against... We're going to look at three. I think I have three set up. The oracle against Assyria. We're going to move kind of quick. So hopefully I don't lose you. But the oracle against... So remember last time we had the oracle against man's pride. Everybody remember who was here? We had an oracle against man's pride. What's the number one thing God doesn't like? Pride, right? Pride is a problem. What keeps people in opposition to God? 
Pride. All the time, it's always the same. Pride, we gotta, we got to lay down that pride. We are not as good as we think we are. Right? We're all legends in our own mind. The older I get, the better I was. Right? We, we bought the t-shirt. So the idea that we want to focus on, we want to understand is that judgment against man's pride moves directly into the list of multiple nations that we're going to look at. First one is Assyria. At the time this is written, Assyria is the powerhouse, okay? They're the kingdom, the world kingdom right now. So the Lord of hosts has sworn, it says in 14.24, As I have planned, so shall it be. As I have purposed, so shall it stand. I will break the Assyrian in my land, on my mountains, trample him underfoot. His yoke shall depart from them, his burden from their shoulder. So God's saying, Assyria is not going to stay king. All of this refers back to the concept of Daniel and the dream about the statue, right? Do we remember? Head of gold, chest of silver, bronze, iron, iron mixed with clay. Each one signifies a different kingdom. The one thing they all have in common is they don't last, right? They don't last. We're, the, human kingdoms are constantly in flux. Why? Because they don't have the answer. Why? Because God's not king. As long as man's king, there will never be peace. As long as man's king, there will always be war. As long as man's king, we're still going to do all the same stuff we've been doing for the last, what, 10,000 years of, of written human history. So I can prove to you, for 10,000 years of human history, man has not shown the ability to save himself. He's shown the ability to destroy himself, but not to save himself. So we have this continuous... Train wreck occurring, right? Kingdom rises, comes to power, good things happen, some bad things happen too, but, you know, there's always some good that, 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 some concept of good that we can point to in the development of a kingdom. But then what does power do? Power corrupts, right? And so that corruption seeps in, turns evil, begins to oppress, blah, 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 blah. We've seen it a million times. Study history, it's everywhere. So this is what God's saying. Assyria is going to fall just like, just like Egypt did before them. And then after Assyria is going to be Babylon. And after Babylon, the Medo-Persians. After Medo-Persians, Greeks. And after the Greeks, the Romans. And after the Romans, I don't, I don't know the numbers. Maybe it's the Ottomans that are next. After the Ottomans, the Brits. After the Brits, maybe we put ourselves. I don't know. We'll see. But, but you get what I'm saying, right? There's, and it, the one thing they all have in common, they rise and they fall. Rise and they fall. So, God's saying the Assyrians are going to drop. What, what is the issue? Why is God in judgment in the nations? Because they're walking in their own pride and they're not looking to God. They're looking to themselves. 1933, Humanist Manifesto declared, There is no God. We, mankind, must save himself. And that's not new. It, it, it existed long before that. Probably all the way back to Genesis 10 with Nimrod. There is no God, I can save myself. And so this is the battle of the rebellion, men against God. Verse 26 says, This is the purpose that is purpose concerning the whole earth. And this is the hand that is stretched out over all the nations. Now God's saying, look, His sovereignty, His throne is over all of them. He's not just the, the God over Israel. He's saying, I'm the God of all of the universe. Who made it all? 
Who created it all? The, the, I don't even, I, to be honest, I don't even, I have a, a difficulty comprehending some of the arguments out there about the, the idea that there's no design in the universe. Have you ever seen how the universe works? The orbits of the planets, the, the concepts behind it all? Um, I'm sorry, that, that shows design everywhere. I don't even know how you look at, at, at DNA, which is a self-replicating and self-correcting code in your body. That, how does that just happen? How do, that just happens? Really? That's just no design? There's no concept of that? But everywhere we look, we see design. We see the fingerprints of a maker. That's the point of Romans 1. You all know I'm here, is what God's saying. You all know I'm here. But you don't want to turn to me because of your pride. You love your sin. And so you, you understand that it costs you something to turn to me, so you continue in rebellion. And that rebellion goes to the same place, the rise and fall of the nations. Rise and fall. God says, I'm here, I'm still over it all. For the Lord of hosts, Yahweh Sabaoth, God of the angel armies, that's the concept, has purposed, and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out, who will turn it back? God is saying, this is, the, this is the, the route of history. God's been watching it for longer than you and I have, right? He says, this is how it goes. This is the direction. <coughs> this is always what happens. This carries on from God's judgment of pride. If you, if you just back up a couple of verses in Isaiah 14, 22, he says, I will rise up against them, declares the Lord. Uh, the Lord of hosts, I will cut off Babylon <coughs> from Babylon name, Remnant, descendant, posterity, declares the Lord, and I will make it a possession of the hedgehog, pools of water, sweep it to the with a broom of destruction, declares the Lord of hosts. God's saying, look, this is where it goes. Every kingdom of man, this is where every kingdom of man goes. It rises in opposition to God, and it falls as a, as a uh, um, consequence to that. <clears throat> so we have the certainty of God's decree as all nations stand in pride and rebellion, ultimately against him. Then the decree turns to the Philistines in verse 28. In the year that King Ahaz died came this oracle. Rejoice not, O Philistia, all of you that the rod, uh, that, the rod that struck you is broken. For from the serpent's root will come forth the adder, and its fruit will be a flying, fiery serpent. So he has this idea. King Ahaz dies. King Ahaz uh, dies. We're, we're going to say roughly, I'm going to put it around 715. I think that's a pretty accurate date. And at that same time, the Philistines decide to start a rebellion against Assyria. Because in their mind, Assyria who had bore the rod against them was looking weak. And what Isaiah the prophet is saying, what you think is weakness is not weakness. The serpent's not dead. The dragon's coming. You guys kind of get where the flow of that's going. It's, you think the serpent's weak, but the serpent is becoming the adder, is becoming the fiery serpent, the flying serpent, the dragon. The, the picture is what you think is weakness is Assyria hasn't even hit their stride yet. They're going to be way worse than you can imagine. But the Philistines are going to rebel against them. They're going to think that they can conquer them. So Isaiah the prophet, the prophet to Judah and Israel, is going to give a prophecy for the Philistines to tell them, don't do that. 
Don't do that. You, you, you're not, you can't win. You can't deliver yourself. The answer is not going to be found in your ability to deliver yourself. You're going to awaken, if you will. You're going to awaken the dragon, and the dragon is going to utterly destroy you. Verse 30, it says, And the firstborn of the poor will graze, and the needy will lie down in safety. Firstborn of the poor is a reference to Judah. So Judah at this time, nobody really cares about. They don't have nothing. <clears throat> and so there, he's saying, look, the, the firstborn of the poor, Judah, they're in peace. And the point he's trying to make is Judah's trusting in me. If, if the Philistines would call on his name, they could trust in him as well. Or they can trust in their own ability to make their situation worse. Anybody ever found that to be true? Anybody ever found it to be true that your own ability to try to overcome a circumstance has made it worse? I don't know. If it happens to you guys, my, I did that in my life. As long as I was calling the shots in my life, I went from bad to worse. <clears throat> now, it doesn't mean my life got good because I let Jesus make the call, but at least when Jesus made the call, I could say, now I know that what's, going, what's happening has purpose. God's accomplishing something. He's working in my life. He's calling the shots, not me. I didn't put myself here. I'm following Jesus. He led me here. So we, we, he's, he's laying out this concept, this idea. God says, I will kill the root with famine and your remnant it will slay. So wail, O gate. Cry out, O city. Melt in fear, O Philistia. All of you. For smoke comes out of the north. The bad guys always come out of the north. So in biblical prophecy, whoever the bad guy is, that's, that's the direction that he comes from. It just so happens that's where Syria is. That's where Babylon is. So that, that becomes a metaphor, right? The bad guys come from the north. So he's going to come from the north. He's going to, the smoke is coming and there will be no straggler in his ranks. They're not weak. Assyria is going to come. They're not weak. Uh, what will one answer the messengers of the nation? The Lord has founded Zion and in her the afflicted people find refuge. So he said, look, they're going to come against you and they're going to wipe you out and there's going to be a bunch of refugees. And you're going to come to Judah for help. You're going to come knock on the doors. Look at the very next phrase that happens in Isaiah 15.1. An oracle... Cut, oops, let me back up. An oracle concerning Moab. We'll see the same thing. So when... What's going to happen? Philistia is going to rebel. They're going to go. Judah's going to be in peace. The Assyrians are going to wipe them out. And they're going to go where God is king, which happens to be Zion, Israel. They're going to go there. They're going to go to Judah. And that's where the refugees will find refuge. Now, the interesting thing is, Philistia is going to go there. <clears throat> the Moabites are going to go there. And they're going to find um, shelter in the land that was traditionally their enemy. Because, well, God's the God of the nations, not just the God of Israel. They're all His. And if they'll come to Him, what did Jesus say? Matthew, uh, He said, Matthew 19, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will cast you out. Is that what it says? Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
I will give you rest. So this is what God's promise is to the nations. Come to me. And so we'll see the Philistines are going to come. And then here in a moment we'll see the Moabites are going to come. So again, the idea, the the laying out, hey, don't run to the Philistines for help, because ultimately you're going to be helping them. Are you guys tracking with me? And he's saying the same thing about Moab. Don't run to Moab for help, because guess what? You're going to be helping them. So this is the these are the points that he's uh, that he's pointing to. In Isaiah 15, 1, it says an, an oracle concerning Moab. Because Ar of Moab is laid waste in a night, Moab is undone. Because Kur of Moab is laid waste in a night, Moab is undone. He has gone up to the temple and to Debon and to the high places to weep over Nebo and over Mediba, Moab wails. On every head is baldness, every beard is shorn. In the streets they wear sackcloth. On the housetops and in the squares, everyone wails and melts in tears. Heshbon, Iliale, uh, they cry out. Their voice is heard as far as Jahaz. Therefore, the armed men of Moab cry aloud. His soul trembles. My heart cries out for Moab. So we have the judgment. Judgment, the same judgment. This is a lament. The same judgment is going to come that comes to the Philistines from Assyria is going to come to Moab. And Moab, too, is not going to be a source of strength for Israel. There's only one of those. Don't run to Moab for help. Moab's having as much trouble as you are. Come to me. Come to me. So the scripture lays out the, the voice of the prophet becomes for us the voice of God. He says, my heart cries out for Moab. Her fugitives flee to Zoar, to Eglath Shelishevah. <clears throat> For as the ascent of Luhith, they go up weeping on the road of Horonaim. They cry, they raise a cry of destruction. The waters of Nimrim are a desolation. The grass is withered, the vegetation fails. <clears throat> the greenery is no more. Therefore, the abundance they have gained and what they have laid up, they carry away over the brook of the willows. For a cry has gone around the land of Moab. Her wailing reaches to Iglaim. Her wailing reaches to Bear Elim. For the waters of Dibon, or the Debon are full of blood. For I will bring upon Debon even more. A lion for those of Moab who escape for the remnant of the land. So the idea is the Moabites are so devastated that their only response that they can bring against Assyria is weeping and flight. They too are going to be put to run. They're going to be putting their things in uh, in their little carts, everything that they own, everything they can fit in a cart, that they can get out quickly, and that's all they'll have. Because they were so secure. They were in control of their own security. But here's the reality in this world... Nothing is secure. God's not king. The Bible talks about a thing called the millennial reign of Christ. It's the promise of Messiah. That Messiah will rule and reign. That one day God will be king. It's that day it says that the wolf will lie down with the lamb. It's that day it says that the lion will eat straw like an ox. It's that day when they will take their weapons and beat them in the plowshares... And they will study war no more. That's the day. That's the hope 
that the nation of Israel is looking for. That's the hope that Messiah brings, and, and that's the only hope. Our, we do not have within ourselves the ability to have peace. Do a little search. Do, it, do yourself a favor. Do a search on Google. Ask them when's the last time there was world peace. Right? Because we, in our rebellion, shake our fist at God and say we can do it ourselves. And what do we learn? How are we doing? Bang up job? Woohoo! Peace on earth? Goodwill to men? Yeah, during Christmas even? Not sure. Depends on where you are in line at Walmart, right? <clears throat> What's going on at the time? In Amos 6 3, uh, 6 1 to 3, it says this Woe to those who are at ease in Zion. To those who feel secure on the mountain of Samaria, the notable men of the first of the nations to whom the house of Israel comes. He says, woe to you. you, you think you're secure. How, how many times when I was a kid did I get away with some crazy knuckleheaded thing I did that I shouldn't have got away with? How many... I, you know, I've told you guys, I totaled eight cars from 16 to 18. Not, not, I didn't just wreck them. I wrecked them. I was, they, they took my license away, but I, I kept driving. I did what I wanted to do. If I thought I should turn here, it didn't matter if there was a road, a curb, a sidewalk, didn't matter. I did whatever I wanted to do, and I, and I was sure that I was able to handle it. Apparently, I was wrong at least eight times, right? But I was sure I was secure right before all those things happened, right before the car's upside down, or I hit this, or I hit that, or I hit the other. The nations are the same. They're, they're, they're sure of their security. Nothing can get us. Nothing can touch us. Right? World War II. We're so secure in our own shores that we ignore the, the information that comes that the Japanese are launching an attack. Oh, they can't hit us. Did they? Well, go, go check out Pearl Harbor. He says, don't, don't trust in your own security. Don't trust in your own abilities. He says to them in, uh, in verse 3, are you better than these other kingdoms? He's talking to Judah and, and Israel. Are you better than them? Is their territory greater than your territory? O oh, you who put far away the day of disaster and bring near the seat of violence. You think, none of this can happen to me. None of this could happen to us. Our nation's far greater, right? But the God of the Moabites will not deliver them. And they will become refugees with all their possessions in a cart. And then when they're like that, he says, you will go out of the frying pan and into the fire. Did you see it? All the, all the stragglers from Moab will run from Moab and run into a lion. It's a metaphor. We have one just like it, right? Out of the frying pan, into the fire. There's another way it's said. In Amos 5.19, it says, If a man fled from a lion, he met a bear. 
What's he talking about? Out of the frying pan. You think you're out of trouble, but you find out that, well, I'm not out of trouble yet. Ask any refugee of any third world country who has nowhere to stay if life has gotten better for them yet. Out of the frying pan, into the fire. So there's a plea that's going to rise out of the voice of the refugees. Look at Isaiah 16.1. So he says, Send the lamb to the ruler of the land from Selah, by way of the desert, to the mount of the daughter of Zion, <clears throat> like fleeing birds, like a scattered nest, so are the daughters of Moab at the fords of Anon. What are they asking for? They're asking to come in to Judah. They're running away from Assyria, the destruction that that kingdom is bringing, and they're running to Judah. The whole point of, the, the whole concept of running to them is that they can run, it's a picture of running to God. Come to Him for your security. Give counsel, grant justice. Make your shade like night at the height of noon. Shelter the outcasts. What's God telling Judah to do? Well, that's a big debate for us right now, isn't it? Don't shelter the outcasts. They're going to cause trouble. I promise they will. Yeah. I'm sure the Moabites caused trouble in Judah. Nonetheless, God said, shelter the outcasts. Do not reveal the fugitive. Don't put them out to the Assyrians. Let the outcasts of Moab sojourn among you. Be a shelter to them from the destroyer. When the oppressor is no more and destruction is ceased, and he who tramples underfoot is vanished from the land, then a throne will be established in steadfast love. He's saying, look, there will be a day when all this destruction will end. But he's pointing to Messiah. Look what he says. There will be a, a throne established in steadfast or faithful love. Whose throne is that? And on it will, uh, and on it will sit in faithfulness in the tent of David, one who judges and seeks justice and is swift to do righteousness. Now that's not ever going to be one of us. That's going to be one guy. That's going to be Jesus. He's the, he is the king who will do that. So there's a plea. So you have Moab conquered, runs to Judah. God says through the prophet Isaiah, open up the borders, let them in, shelter them, protect them from the oppressor who is oppressing them, and know that one day there's a king coming, and when he comes, there will be justice and righteousness. Until then, we're going to seek it. But we're not going to find it as well as we will on that day. So part of the point is, Moab can't save herself, can, can she? Right? She's in trouble. The nation's in trouble. The people can't save themselves. All they can do is run. And they're running to who? They're running to the picture. That's right. See, somebody's listening. They're running to Jesus. And they're able to find protection and help in that place. Then the next part, in Isaiah 6, 16, 6 to 12, they're going to contrast. Now we see the destruction of Moab, the fleeing of her refugees into Judah, Judah becoming a shelter for them. And then you're going to see a contrast now between the pride that Moab had at first when Moab said, we got this handled. 
Because the Bible says pride comes before the... Right? We've all heard it before? The, the pride comes before. So here, we hit, here it says in verse 6, Isaiah 16, We have heard of the pride of Moab, how proud he is, of his arrogance, his pride, his insolence, in his idle boasting. He is not right. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot protect ourselves from this broken world. There is answer in one place. And if you run anywhere else, there's no help there. There's no hope in that place. Verse 7, Therefore, let Moab wail for Moab. Let everyone wail. Mourn, utterly stricken for the raisin cakes of Kir Hadaseth. The Kir Hadaseth. Hadaseth is the, is, if you guys have Passover with us, it's a real sweet, uh, part of Passover, like dessert. Uh, it's not dessert, and I don't remember what's in it, just I remember raisins. <clears throat> raisins and gooey sweetness. Apples, yeah, there's apples in it. So the, anyways, the, the idea is you're gonna, you're gonna long for that. Right? Wouldn't you? Uh, just picture any of the refugee camps currently around our world. There's, there's thousands of them to choose from. Picture any of those refugee camps. You think they're eating uh, angel food cake? You think they're having strawberry shortening and Cool Whip or pumpkin pie? No. They're not. He's saying to Moab, you're, you're going to long for those things because... Because you could have had them back in the day when you were strong. For the fields of Heshbon languish in the vine of Sibma. The lords of the nation have struck down its branches. Now Moab is being compared to a, a grapevine. But it's a grapevine that's lying on the ground. Now, is that very strong? What, is a grapevine laying on the ground able to take care of itself? You guys get the point? So all these people are going to trample it. Look, they're going to break its branches. Uh, and they strayed to the desert. Its shoots spread abroad and passed over the sea. Therefore I weep. Again, the voice of the prophet becomes the voice of God. Therefore I weep with the weeping of Jazir for the vine of Sibma. I drench you with my tears, O Heshbon and Iliele, for over your summer fruit and your harvest the shout has ceased. The joy and the gladness are taken away from the fruitful field. Over and over again, God has this same idea. The idea is this. I don't glory when the wicked are destroyed. I glory when the wicked repent and run to me and get saved. I don't glory over, over the, the, the destruction. He's not glorying over it. He says, and Joy and gladness have been taken from the fruitful field. In the vineyards there's no songs. No cheers are raised. No treader treads out the wine press. I put an end to the shouting. It's all over. Therefore my inner parts moan like a lyre for Moab. And my inmost self for Kir Hadaseth. And when Moab presents himself. When he wearies himself on the high place. When he comes to his sanctuary to pray. He will not prevail. So you have this picture of proud Moab and all the good things and then all the songs of joy and all the gladness all went away. 
Why? Because one of the earth's kingdoms, which Daniel describes later on, chapter 7 or 8, as beasts, because what do all the kingdoms of man have in common? They are all oppressive. Don't kid yourself that we are not oppressive. We oppress. We have oppressed in the past and we will continue to oppress because that's how the high and mighty stay high and mighty. Right? We had slave trade. We stole land from the indigenous people. We shake our fist at South Africa. I can't believe what they did while we're standing on the graves of Indians, right? It's easy to be self-righteous when you look at somebody else's, when your sin is being warned by someone else. The kingdoms of men are oppressive unless the kingdom is submitted to God. And even then, we can mess up because it's our nature. Our nature is to be rebellious and hateful and oppressive. I shocked somebody earlier this week when... uh, can't remember they said something about their heart and i made a a uh, comment about what the bible says about your heart i think they said something like oh you know i have a good heart or something and i was like oh that's not what the bible says the bible says you have a wicked heart and your heart is so wicked there's not very many things that can gauge the wickedness of your heart It's not somebody else. It's men, mankind, human beings. That's who we are. That's who we are if we stay in rebellion against God. There is no end to the wickedness man does to man unless man will bow the knee to their their God and Savior, Jesus Christ, and say, I'm going to live my life consistently following him. Because that's where you come up with the concepts that mankind seems to love to tout, right? To love your enemy. Do good to those who hurt you. Where does that come from? That doesn't come from inside of me. But it does come from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He, he is that. And so Daniel describing kingdoms... As beasts, what do the beasts do? Beasts tear, they rip, they destroy. they, And that's what we've seen the kingdom of man do throughout history. And it's, it just boggles my mind that we then say, oh, man's getting better. Are you smoking crack? Where is man getting better? Where is he? I just was on the news. You guys, maybe you guys know the story. I, I didn't know about it. And I don't, I don't remember their names, but it was, uh, uh, it was a black family. Uh, father and daughter, and he's telling the story about driving down the road, and they see a woman on a corner, and and she's got a baby, and it's cold outside, and they're thinking, oh my gosh. And so his wife says, we got to stop and help her. So they pull over to stop and help her, and so they she rolls down her window, and she's going to give her some money, and the lady pulls a knife and stabs his wife multiple times in the chest. A man comes around a corner, continues to stab her. They rob her. T- grab whatever they can out the car and run away. And before the guy can blink, his wife is dead. That's what man does to man. Merry Christmas. 
That is man. You think that's not in the heart of every stinking man. I'm going to tell you right now, and is in the heart of every man who will not submit his heart to God. I hear all the time, oh, I, I could never do that. Well, you could. A lion eats meat because a lion eats meat. Man does what man does because that's how his nature is. Unless your nature is changed by being transformed, right, into the image of God, that's who we are. And that's what the prophets are all about. That's why you, you read about all these judgments. What are all these judgments? It's man doing what man does. And God telling them about it before it happens. Oh, let me tell you what's going to happen. Assyria is going to come down and wipe all you guys out, and then somebody's going to wipe out Assyria. And then Babylon's going to come down and wipe all you guys out, and then somebody's going to wipe out Babylon. And then uh, the Greeks are going to come down and wipe everybody out until someone comes along and wipes them out. And then the Romans, and then, and then, and then. It's, it's just a story of history, no? Everywhere we look, this is the thing. The beauty of the, the prophets is the prophets tell everyone before it happens. So, you could respond, right? You could respond to what the prophet has said. If you're Moab. Because right here it says in verse 13, This is the word of the Lord, spoke concerning Moab in the past, but now the Lord has spoken in three years. This is going to happen within three years when Isaiah delivered the oracles to the nations. So this oracle went to the king of Moab. In three years this is going to happen. You can respond. You can respond to what's being said. Or you can say, like we began, you know, you keep going back to this silly ultimate authority. And uh, I don't know, unless you can prove to me that this could possibly be true, why would I change anything? I'm going to just keep doing what I'm doing. The story of man starts in Genesis 10 and begins with rebellion. And rebellion continues until Revelation 19. In Revelation 19, Jesus comes and stops the rebellion. The Bible says every knee will bow. Until the day he comes and makes every knee bow, we have an opportunity to choose to bow. To the only one who can change our nature. And that's the point of the oracles to the nations. Change. I want my nature. I don't want to be that. I would like to break the chain. No? Anybody got a family where you got all this craziness? Maybe you got, maybe you got alcoholism or you got drug addicts or you got whatever thing. And you have this chain of destruction in your family. Don't you want to end it? But you can't end it by going to a 12-step program. You can't end it because you took this pill or you did that pill or you saw this doctor or that psychiatrist. You end it by bowing the knee to Jesus Christ. Then, all those other tools, the psychiatrist, the 12-step program, the whatever thing you go to, if you bow the knee to Jesus Christ, they all work. They all transform because the transformative power is in Jesus. He has the ability to change us. In three years, like the three years of a hired worker, the glory of Moab will be brought into contempt. In spite of all the great multitude and those who remain will be very few and feeble. So it's not a complete destruction. And the refugees are all going to go where? 
They're all going to go to Zion. They're all going to come to Israel. They're all going to settle in Judah. And when we get to chapter, I think it's 38. I might be wrong, but I think it's 38. When we get to chapter 38, we find out what happens to all them. All these nations that are being displaced by Assyria are all going to run to Judah. Because they'll hear, there's a God in Judah who can save. And in one day, God's going to save. Same thing's true still. There's a God who can save. And he will come and save. It's our responsibility to take what the word of God has delivered and say, you know what, I would rather believe God than men. Remember Abraham? Doctors told Abraham, your wife can't have a baby. She's not ever going to have a baby. Nothing you can do, no pills you can take, no surgery you can have. You're never going to have a child. Maybe it was a little hard on Abraham since uh, Abram means father and Abraham means father of many nations, but he didn't have any kids. But Abraham chose in Genesis 12 to believe God instead. Well, God says he can do it. He didn't say, you know what, I I needed to to line up with my ability to reason through it first. No, he just made the choice. I'm going to believe God. And the Bible says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him as righteousness. He was justified. He wasn't perfect. He just chose to have an ultimate authority. Who was his ultimate authority? God. Yeah. He decided to believe God's word more. And God is able still to do the same things that he did for Abraham for us today. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time, the opportunity we have to study your word, to look at the oracles of the nations, so many more nations to come. And the message continues, Lord, you are the Lord of the nations. You are the one who is able to save. We cannot save ourselves. In fact, our, our pride is what brings us down this, this road of rebellion. Our fallen nature made corrupt. Our corrupt nature made rebellious. And our rebellion continues. God, I pray that we today would choose that our rebellion can end right now. All i got to do is bow the knee and say, You're my king. You're my lord. You're my Savior, and I will follow you. God, I pray that you would work in our hearts and lives as we turn our eyes toward you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.